Such a great blessing for us to be here on the first of the week, to be together as God intends, to worship Him, to raise up our hearts and our voices together in song, to partake of the Lord's Supper, remembering the great sacrifice that was made on our behalf, remembering the forgiveness of our sins, indeed rejoicing in that together, and studying from His Word so that we can be built up, that we can edify one another, we can stir one another up to love and good works, as is the intent of our coming together on the first of the week to worship Him. It's such a blessing to see all of you whose faces I may not see for a few more weeks. Most of you know that we are planning a trip to Brazil, and I accept your prayers on our behalf for that. We'll be gone for six weeks if everything goes as we've got it planned. So it is great to see all of you, these numbers that are back again after so many have been out sick. There are still some of our number that are out sick, but it's so good to see so many with us and visitors as well. What a great blessing it is to be together on the first of the week. As we look at this text in Matthew chapter 11, John has sent messengers to Jesus asking in verse 3, are you the coming one or do we look for another? There's a lot of debate about what's going on here. How did John not know that this is the Christ? He has already testified back in John chapter 1 that he saw as he baptized him the dove coming down and the spirit staying on him in the form of dove. And so he knew that this is the one that God had sent. And so how is it possible that John didn't know? I believe John does know. I think he's doing this for the sake of his disciples who need to be following Jesus and not John. He's in prison. His days are already numbered. He doesn't know how quickly it's going to come to pass. But he sends them to Jesus and Jesus begins to respond with things that point to his being the Christ, just as John has been pointing to all along. He tells them, uh, go and tell John the things which you hear and see in verse 4 there of Matthew 11. Verse 5, the blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That's the definition of what the Christ was going to do when he was to come. Jesus says, am I the one? Well, go tell John what you see happening. <laughs> That'll answer your question. And certainly that is the answer. But then... Jesus begins to speak to the multitudes who were around him, who heard him say these things, have been hearing the same things he's presented before John, and there's so much debate. There's so much that are so many that are rejecting him. Most of the religious leadership, the establishment, has rejected him. And so he's got this indictment that he lays down on all the people now. What have you come out into the wilderness to see when you went to see John, and now when you've come to me, what is it that you're actually looking for? And I think it's a great thing for us to be considering as we gather for worship. First, we ought to consider what's going on here in the backdrop of this questioning and, and uh, what this excitement was about. The Jewish nation has been waiting more than 400 years now for some new message from the Lord. The last message that had been revealed was from the prophet Malachi around 440 uh, before Christ. We can look at those uh, last few words of that prophecy. In fact, they point to John the Baptist, John uh, is very much related to these words here. But this is the last thing the Israelites received as far as a revelation from God, were these words, Malachi 4, verses 4 through 6, Remember the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. <laughs> and so there's this blessing and cursing that's been presented in the last words that came from the Lord. And there's this great expectation among the Jewish nation now. And finally, 
this prophet arises out of the wilderness. This is John the Baptist comes prophesying that the days of the kingdom of heaven are at hand and that the Christ is walking among them. What an exciting time to be a Jew. Is this the Messiah? Perhaps John the Baptist is the Messiah. Is he truly pointing to somebody else or is it him? Is he Elijah? What about this Jesus? Is he Elijah? Is he the prophet that is to come when they asked John about those things. I love his response in John chapter 1. Uh, they've gone out to see him, and the, the religious leadership has kind of gone out to investigate him. Here's this kind of crazy man that's come out of the wilderness. He's, he's dressed in camel's hair, and he's eating locusts and wild honey, and he's saying all these sort of outlandish things and making these great claims. And so they've sort of sent out to investigate him. And so in John uh, chapter 1, now, this is the testimony, verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. <laughs> and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So it's interesting. They come and say, who are you? And he says, who I'm not. <laughs> I am not the Christ. Because who they need is the Christ. And everything he does points to the Christ. So he's not the Christ. He is not technically Elijah. They don't understand the meaning of the fact that he came in the spirit of Elijah. And so he plays their game. No, I'm not Elijah. I am the Elijah who was to come, but you've missed that. <laughs> I'm not the prophet. Deuteronomy 18 spoke of a prophet that would be raised up like Moses from the brethren. That's the Christ. He's not the prophet. He's not the Christ. And so they've got these ideas about him, but he shoots all of those ideas down and he points to the one who's walking among them that they don't know. They know John, or at least they think they do, but they don't know the one he's pointing to. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, the prophet's... All the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He's the one. They're not willing to receive it. <laughs> They're not willing to listen. He said, I'm the one that was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. <laughs> but Jesus here is speaking now to the multitudes. And he wants them to understand who John was so they can see who he is. But he starts to challenge their hearts. They're not going to know who he is. They're not going to understand who John was if their hearts are not in the right place. Why have you gone out? Why did you go out into the wilderness in Judea? Why did you go out to John? John challenged the Pharisees when they came. You brood of vipers, why have you come? <laughs> Who's warned you to flee from the wrath? Where's your fruit of the repentance you say you have? And in fact, many of them ended up not being baptized by him. They didn't like the way he talked. Ah, he's just some crazy guy. Why did they go out? Was it just curiosity? Who is this man that eats locusts and wild honey? Was it because, well, everybody wants to hear some new prophecy from the Lord. Let's go out and, and listen. Let's see what's being said. Or were they truly seeking for God's will? Are they motivated by really wanting to know what it is that God has revealed? And so Jesus is questioning their motives here. He's not just looking at the fact that they went out to John. That was a good thing. 
Well, what did they do when they got there? Did they accept his message? Did they treat it as just some anomaly? Did they take it to heart? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says the word of God does that. It divides not only between soul and spirit, but it gets to the motives of the heart. And that's what Jesus is doing. As he begins to ask these questions to them, why did, why did you go out there? What did you go out to see? I want you to notice what he says there at the end. I think that's important. So you've got this great expectation among the Jews. And he says then, getting back into our text now in Matthew chapter 11, did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? What a strange thing to say. Did you think John was just going to bend to whatever the common uh, wind of doctrine was at the moment? you think he was going to bend to what you wanted? Is that what you expected to see with John? John's message and his character were consistent throughout. He wasn't swayed by the Pharisees. He wasn't swayed by Herod. He wasn't swayed by the multitudes. He taught the word of God. Think about it for a moment when the Pharisees went out to him. Here's a moment. If you want to be famous among the Jews, you've got the, the Levites coming out to you, the priests and the, and the leading Pharisees. They're coming out to interview John. He could have built himself up. He did say, I'm the one that's calling out in the wilderness. I'm that voice that Isaiah spoke about. But even before he said that, he said, I'm not the Christ. <laughs> You're looking for somebody else. He's not trying to build himself up, but that certainly could have been a temptation. He might have swayed a little bit with his message to get the kind of praise that the Jews were looking for and looking to give. <laughs> well, that would have been great. Maybe we can win him over to the Pharisees and we can say that the great prophet that, that foretold the coming of the Christ was one of us. <laughs> but he didn't bend to the Pharisees. He certainly didn't do that. Did he soften the message to Herod? Here he is before the most powerful man in that region. And he tells him, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. It's the very reason he ends up getting put in prison. Now it seems that Herod's trying to protect him from Herodias who wanted him dead on the spot. So Herod puts him away where he can have access to him and perhaps Herodias can't. But it ends up being the occasion of his beheading because he stood up to Herod and said, this marriage is not, not allowed. <laughs> This is sinful. This is adultery. He was tempted, perhaps, to soften that message, but he didn't. He's not a reed shaken by the wind. He is consistent and steadfast in what he's teaching. What happens with John, the reason he seems so out of place, is that he intentionally is taking a lesser role. It's not that he's bending. It's that he's only bowing down to serve. <laughs> That's the kind of bending that he's doing. He's taking a lesser role so that others could benefit. In verse 11, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, this is Matthew 11, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. <laughs> How do you become great? You become great by serving. Now, by observing John, he looks like this kind of lowly guy. <laughs> this camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. And Jesus is saying he came as a servant. He's made himself lowly so that others can benefit. He's emulating, in fact, Jesus. Philippians 2, Paul tells us about Jesus who, who took off heaven, who came down. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, not something to be grasped, but he let go of it so he could come and be found in the figure of a man, be found in the form of a servant. And he was willing to serve in obedience even to death, even the death of the cross. John the Baptist is imitating Christ before Christ does what he's going to do. He, come, he came in the spirit of the true servant of God. 
And the result of that sort of service that John was offering was not to repel people, not to make people indignant. It was really to serve them so that they could grow, so that they could see in him the example of the Christ, and so they could hear from him the message. He was willing to go wherever it took, to do whatever it took to get the message all the way up into the court of Herod, if need be, so that they could grow. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and following, the Lord has given gifts to the church in the form of the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, those that would bring the word that could cause those who listened to mature. Well, that same word, though, is a dividing line. Some will mature, some will chafe at it, and will go away and become even more immature from rejecting it. The truth is John is a steward. He's faithful to the one who sent him. And so he's revealing in a steadfast way only that which the Lord wants him to preach. He spoke truth rather than bow down and speak the religious status quo. Back in Matthew chapter 3, I made allusion to this earlier, but look what happens when the religious leadership comes out to his baptism. Matthew 3, starting at verse 5. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I dare say... John the Baptist would get kicked out of a lot of pulpits today. You don't come in to the establishment stomping grounds and say, the axe is laid at your feet. <laughs> this tree that you've got all flowery in here, God's about ready to chop it down. Bear some fruit that shows that you're repentant or your time has come. <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> they went out to see him and he berated them. <laughs> These are the ones that everybody looks up to. These are the great religious Pharisees and Sadducees, the two great schools of Jesus' day. And yet, John the Baptist is not a reed shaken by the wind. He's not afraid of them. He doesn't bow to whatever their doctrine might suggest. He's teaching steadfastly the Word of God for their benefit. It's what they needed to hear. It's what we need to hear. It's so easy to want our ears tickled, to want to hear somebody saying, You're doing great. Just keep it up. It's amazing how full the self-help section at the bookstore is because it feels so good to get someone just telling me, you're doing great. What we need to hear is, you need to be doing better. <laughs> yeah, you might be on the right path, but it's not going to take you long to fall off it if you don't keep straight. John preached with a consistent character, the strength and the truth of the Word of God. What did you go out to see, he asked in Matthew 11. Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? Did you go to see a man in sumptuous, sumptuous clothing? <laughs> Did you go out to see a man in, in soft garments? The religious leaders like to dress that way. Luke lets us in a little bit on, on that in Luke chapter 20. We see this in other accounts as well. But I like the language in Luke 20 verse 46. Um, speaking to these same religious, this same religious leadership, Jesus says, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. You see that idea of this soft 
clothing, these, these garments that from way off you think, boy, he's got to be doing something right. <laughs> he's got it. Today we might liken that to the kind of televangelist who looks like the car salesman. We've got the slicked back hair and you know, the $1,000, $5,000 suit. I don't know how much suits cost, but he's rich. And he looks like, boy, God has blessed him. And people that are carnally minded see that and think, that's what I want. <laughs> that man must be blessed of God. He couldn't dress like that if he wasn't. Interestingly enough, the word here for soft garments is the same word Paul uses later in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to describe the effeminate. Something that is out of place. This is not what they should be going out to see. One who seeks a life of ease and style and believes that his outward appearance is a proof of his blessing. John wasn't relying on that. Did he bring a blessing? Absolutely. But he didn't rely on his outward appearance to kind of belie what he's bringing. It's the word he teaches that proves whether or not he's got a blessing from God. But they weren't willing to listen to the word because once they saw his appearance, they were repelled. Now, we certainly don't want to be repugnant to others. We don't want to dress and act in such a way that others don't even want to get close to us. That's not the point here. But there's an extreme, the immodesty question. When you look at that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, He's really speaking of overdressing in that text, of using costly clothing and pearls and this braided hair that's full of these objects that are, that are showing off riches. And that is immodest. We tend to think of immodest being taking off too much. That is also. But the idea in 1 Timothy 2 was overdoing it. And that's the idea here as well. And there may be some de uh, defense of the Jews saying, well, we understand <laughs> that God richly blesses those who are serving him. Look at Job, how at first he was rich, then he lost it all, but then the Lord blessed him again at the end and gave him overwhelming riches. Look at Abraham, look at Lot, look at all of these men who had so many goods in the Old Testament because God was blessing them. Amen. What a wonderful thing. But is it possible that there are men who are blessed of God who do not have all those riches? John the Baptist certainly was one. What about Jesus? Had nowhere to lay his head. Was he blessed of the Lord? Not according to the religious status quo of the day. <laughs> Not according to the rich Pharisees and Sadducees who dressed up in these fine clothes and their scribes walked along in the, in the meeting places waiting to be greeted. Oh, Rabbi, Rabbi. Sound familiar? <laughs> I've been places where you get involved in some kind of a religious conversation and you begin to talk to the person and he says, oh, well, call me pastor. <laughs> well, you're not my pastor. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to call you that. Call me reverend. I'm certainly not going to call you that. But some people insist. <laughs> we had a series of studies one time. They were public studies. And we especially said, when you put your name on your name tag, don't put any titles. Just put your name. That's all we're going to go by here. And they insisted on writing, Reverend so-and-so, Pastor so-and-so. And when you'd call on them, if you missed it, they would remind you, oh, but that's Reverend so-and-so. It sounds so foreign, perhaps, to our way of thinking. But it's such a common thing in the religious world, unfortunately. And that certainly is what we're seeing here. Is this what you went out to see? Someone like that? <laughs> Their luxury really betrays a focus on this world. The text that our brother read just a few moments ago from Matthew chapter 6. You know, where you're... Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And if your treasure is in this world and you're showing your treasure off as much as you can by just wearing it and carrying it with you everywhere you go, oh, look at how much I've got. It betrays where your heart really is. What a blessing if the Lord has richly recompensed you with, with worldly goods. 
Are you using them well? <laughs> Are you using them in his service? We ought to be using all that we have in his service. These men were using it to sort of draw attention to themselves. Did you expect that's what John was going to do, Jesus says? That's not what he was about. His clothing and his food were humble. <laughs> he wore camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. It's amazing to me the idea here. It's not that John was distracted, didn't have time to think about clothing, but he was content with what he had. <laughs> when I teach from the book of Mark and we talk about John the Baptist, I talk about the fact that his camel's hair and his food it just came from the Lord. <laughs> he didn't go to some Saks Fifth Avenue or didn't go to some store to buy those things. Those are things he could find in the field, his food. <laughs> and the camel's hair is something that after the animal had died and the, and the skin was tanned, this is the camel's hair. <laughs> this is not the best part of the garment that's left over. It's just whatever he could find. And he was content with that. He was clothed and he was fed. Those are the two things in Matthew 6 that God says he'll give those who are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what John embodied. And so he was content. He had learned in every way to be content. His focus, obviously, was on a kingdom, not of this world. He didn't dress like a king here. He didn't dress like he was of uh, the king's palaces, like those in soft clothing dress, as Jesus said. His thinking was beyond this world. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're let in on the thinking of some of the faithful of old. Uh, by Abraham here, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You know, they want to stand on this concept. Of, well, Abraham was very rich. He had all of this. Yeah, but he lived in tents. <laughs> he didn't even have a house like you've got. <laughs> He didn't live in a palace, even though he is the father of the faithful. He's the king, if you will, of the Jewish nation, in the sense. And yet he lived in a tent because he was looking for something more permanent that came from God. He was content with what he had. And that's not what they're finding. Were they offended by John's simplicity? In Mark chapter 11, when Jesus is questioning them about where John the Baptist's baptism came from, they sort of indict themselves because they begin to think, well, if we say it's from the Lord, he's going to say, why didn't you believe him? It shows that they didn't believe him. So what did they go out to see? Well, whatever they saw, they were offended by. They didn't believe it. They didn't take the time to listen. Now, the multitudes were listening. They sent men out to question him because they wanted to know what is it that all these people are listening to, but they weren't willing to listen themselves. It's interesting to see how many times that happens with Jesus as well. Jesus is in Capernaum or some small town and he's teaching. And the text says there were men there sent from the Pharisees. <laughs> they had sent some spies in to try to catch him in a word. Perhaps they had come up even from as far as Jerusalem because they heard this guy's a troublemaker. But they weren't willing to go listen to what he said themselves. They just sent people up who brought the message from Jerusalem. This man only casts out demons by the power of Beelzebub. He says, be careful. <laughs> the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. They hadn't bothered to listen to what he was saying. They already came with their accusations. Were they offended at John's simplicity? They went out perhaps to see a man in soft garments. That's not what they found. Had they gone out to see a prophet? I want you to notice Jesus' language here. What did you go out to see? Did you want to see a prophet? How cool would that have been? <laughs> You're in Israel. And how cool would it be to say... I knew Isaiah. <laughs> like, you're of that generation. I knew Isaiah. But we think about that. That probably wasn't very cool at all because his generation rejected him. 
Now, later on to say, I listened when Isaiah preached, that'd be a little different. And then you're reading what Isaiah said. You come back from captivity and you've been thanking God that you were one of those who had your ears opened. That's different. But the ones who saw Isaiah rejected him. <laughs> Most of the ones who saw the prophets didn't listen to them. That's exactly Stephen's point in Acts chapter 7. This great indictment in this lesson, as he, Stephen points out their history of rejecting God, as God tolerates them in the wilderness and tolerates them all through their history, they keep rejecting him. And finally, in Acts chapter 7, verses 52 and 53, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Can you name one? <laughs> they were all persecuted. And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. You imagine saying that? I saw a prophet. Did you listen to him? Your father saw all the prophets and killed them all. And then you killed the one they prophesied about. That's the indictment from Stephen. They saw prophets, but they didn't listen to him. Did you go out to see a prophet? That had been an exciting prospect. But did you really want to hear the truth? That's a whole different story. <laughs> it's one thing to want to be religious. It's another thing to want to do God's will. It's one thing to want to belong to a church that's vibrant and growing and doing good things. It's another thing to want to be involved in working <laughs> and making sure that God's will is being done and not just some fun club that you're a part of. Did they really want to hear the truth? The multitudes initially Back in Matthew 3, heard and accepted. John saw the Jerusalem and Judea and all the region around coming out. They were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. This was a big to-do early on. But then as Jesus begins to take over from John and begins to preach that he's come to be the bread of life, that they need to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, then they decided, well, those are things that are hard to hear. I don't think we need to be saying those kind of things, Master. Did you not notice that you offended those people? And he just says, well, do you want to go away as well? Go ahead. Well, no, you've got the words of life, the ones who were hearing. But it was hard to hear. And so they began to balk and disbelieved in the Christ that John had been preaching about. Jesus himself, back in Matthew 11 now, calls John more than a prophet they wanted to see something special. They had a great opportunity in the days of John as he's prophesying about the Christ coming. He's somebody who himself was prophesied about. That's not often that that happens. The Christ obviously was well prophesied about, but John was as well. The messenger who was going to make the path straight so they could receive the Lord was himself prophesied about. And Jesus said he's the greatest among men. It's an amazing thing that Jesus says about John. But that work that he was doing was preparing for something even greater, someone even greater. He's preparing for the Christ. But if your heart and attitude aren't right, even the preparation for the Christ is not going to get where it needs to get. <laughs> if you come to the Bible looking for an answer for some quick fix, <laughs> some problem that you've got, the answers are here. But if that's all you're looking for, you're not going to find the lasting response that you need. So he says, what's this generation like? <laughs> Can you imagine this indictment as it came down? To what shall I liken this generation? You're like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to your companions. This is Matthew 11, verse 16 and 17. 
and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. <laughs> Jesus calls out what's truly going on in this religious mindset. We just wanted you to be the Christ we thought you were going to be. <laughs> we just wanted you to do things the way they ought to be done. Was God going to do things the way they ought to be done? Absolutely. We're the ones who aren't doing things the way they ought to be done. And so when we meet the Christ, when we really meet the Christ, and He's not who we expected, it's because we're not who we ought to be. He needs to change us into His image, not us change Him into our image. That's idolatry. When we change God into our image, that's idolatry. But when we accept who He is and allow Him to change us, that's worship. We become like who or what we worship. That's a concept that is rife throughout the Old Testament. God made us in His image. We broke that with sin. We began to worship the creature instead of the Creator. We broke that. We lost that. But He's trying to bring us back to His image. And He does that through His Word and through His Son, the Word of God. But a childish self-focus will always hinder our accepting of the truth. God, it's about me. I don't like when you said that. I don't like the way your word makes me feel. I don't like the way things are being done. That's what the Pharisees were about. But so often it can be what we're about. There's a great movement, especially in the postmodern age. Seek the church of your choice. <laughs> Go somewhere that makes you feel fulfilled. And boy, that's being preached every single day. I've tried. I've tried to listen to some of these shows that are on on Saturday night and on Sunday evening. It takes me about two minutes, and I've got to turn it off. <laughs> I'm afraid a lightning bolt is going to come down and hit me and the TV. Some of the things they're saying are preposterous, and they are quoting Scripture for about 10 seconds of that. And then for the other minute and 50 seconds, when they go on and expound on what that Scripture actually means for you, <laughs> you need to claim this right. <laughs> it is garbage. <laughs> It hurts to hear, if you know at all what the Bible's about. It's a self-focus that most of these men are teaching. This health and wealth gospel focuses on me. How much more can I get out of this? Will the Lord restore us and bring us joy? Absolutely. Is that our focus? No, our focus is Him. But as we focus more and more on Him, our joy and our restoration becomes more and more complete. But if we're not going to focus on Him and on the truth, we're not going to get what we're really needing. They demanded things their way. They wanted the responses that would please them. We want to play the flute and have you dance, but you don't dance when we play the flute, Jesus. Who do you think you are? You're a carpenter's son. Now, I know you've got a lot of followers. We've got more. You've got a lot of people that are following after you, but we can, we can take care of that pretty quickly. You going to dance or are we going to have to cut the music completely? You see what's going on? <laughs> we mourned and you did not lament. You didn't see things the way we saw them. How many people religiously are seeking that? Someone that will dance to the music they play or mourn about the things they mourn about. It doesn't matter what Jesus presents. It's never good enough. It never lines up with what they already believed. How often have I started a Bible study with someone only to get about two or three chapters into whatever book we're studying and have them say, well, I didn't know that it was like that. I, I don't believe that. 
Well, that's what the text says. Well, I don't believe that. That's not the God I believe in. Well, what God are you looking for? I mean, we're studying the Bible. That's the word of, do you believe this is the word of God? Well, sure. Well, most of it. It was written by men, but his ideas are in there somewhere. Okay, well, there's the problem. <laughs> you want to think that men just kind of put their ideas in here, and so when you find one that matches yours, then you've got something good, and the rest you can throw out. But you've thrown out God with the bathwater. <laughs> you can't do that. And so they want a God who lines up with what they already believed. And it's just not going to happen. Of course, that's not us. <laughs> we comfort ourselves. Maybe even we pride ourselves in thinking, whew, so glad I'm not like this Pharisee. <laughs> of course, the Pharisee said that about the publican, didn't he? I'm so glad I'm not like him. I would never just kind of try to do whatever felt good religiously. I would never just try to hope that things line up with the way I feel about how they ought to be. What have we come out to see? Are we so different from the Pharisees of the first century? From the fickle crowds of the first century? From the religious crowds of today? Are we so different from them? The temptations are the same. The same Satan is working on us to pull us away from what God really desires. What have you come out to see in worship today? Did you come hoping to get your eyes filled? If you're here, probably not. <laughs> You've already learned what we're about here, and we hope that your ear and your heart is being filled by the Word of God. That's our desire and our teaching here. But there are some who will come and visit and will never come back. That's not what they're looking for. And they refuse to hear because what they saw was not already immediately pleasing to them. But I want to suggest to you sometimes that is a temptation for us. We come with expectations. We want things sort of to be what makes us feel comfortable. And when they're not, that may be too much of a challenge to us. We want things that are going to kind of clothe us in soft garments. This is going to make me feel good, but it's not going to ask too much of me. I want a church that I would choose to be a part of. I want to hear somebody that speaks powerful words. I want to see what looks like the power of God. But I'm not willing to listen long enough to find out if it's the power of God or if it's just empty philosophy. May our hearts not be like that. May we not prove our immaturity by the way we respond to the word. May we prove that we want the word to bring us to maturity. There have been some challenging lessons preached already this year about need to be more engaged in helping our neighbors and our friends to come to know the gospel, about learning to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. <laughs> Those are challenging things for people who just kind of like to coast through life. But we don't have that right. The time is short. We need to work while it's day. The Lord said that's what he was doing. I want to challenge you, not just to be comfortable, but to reach outside of your comfort zone to find out what it is you're really seeking for out of worship, out of serving the Lord, out of your brethren. What is it that we're really searching for? And how can we help each other to find what we really need, the Lord and worshiping Him in spirit and truth? If you're not a Christian, perhaps this is sounding strange to you. Perhaps this is not at all what you expected, but I pray that it's intrigued you. I pray that it'll help you want to look more in to his word and find out what it is that he's really teaching and why it is that so many people want to water down the straightforward teaching of the Lord. If you'd like to become a Christian and you're already willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, 
to come forward repentant of your sins and have them washed away in baptism. We would love to help you do that today. That's exactly what we want to help you do. And if you are a Christian and you're struggling, perhaps with some of these very temptations, perhaps you just want something to be easy, but you know you need it to be more challenging for you and you need to challenge yourself, we want to hold up your hands while you do that. We're here to work together with you. We're not working against you. We're not putting pressure on you. We want to work together. We can build up this work in this area and we can glorify the Lord through His body. Whatever your need may be, if we can help you with it, why don't you make it known? Come forward. We're going to stand and sing a song to encourage your decision.